Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 176 of Dial the Gate, the Stargate Oral History Project. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a great lineup today. Morris Chapdelaine is launching our program. We're going to uh, delve into some uh, Stargate SG-1 history here in a moment. But before we get uh, started, if you enjoy Stargate, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it means a great deal if you click that like button. It helps the show grow its audience. And uh, please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next few weeks on both the Dial the Gate and the GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As this is a live episode, Episode. Morris is joining us live, which means that if you are in the YouTube chat, you can submit questions to him through our moderating team. I think we've got uh, we've got Tracy in there today, and we've got, I believe, Anthony as well. So I appreciate them uh, joining us, and we're going to go ahead and uh, get the program started here. Morris Chapdelaine, actor, Asgard puppeteer, producer on Van Helsing. Welcome, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I am well. I appreciate you taking uh, uh, time to to join us. Are you in? Are you in Vancouver? I am in Vancouver, and we are strangely expecting snow this afternoon. Wow! Yeah. Jeez. All right. <laughs> well, um, I remember being there. It was February, I think, of 2018 or 17, and you guys got a huge dump of snow, and the entire city just came to a grinding halt. That, like, no that... one knew what to do. <laughs> We don't. Buses stop. Transit stops. Nobody leaves their homes. Schools <laughs> shut down. It's uh, a bit Mass of a hysteria. Yeah. hysteria. <laughs> but it's entertaining. Well, there is that. I like watching it, but I don't like driving in it, for sure. Morris, did you... Uh, when did you know you wanted to be in this industry, that this is what you wanted to do? Wow. Probably the first time I saw The Wizard of Oz. And I think I was in grade two. And uh, it was just such a magical experience for me as a little boy. And I knew immediately I, I needed to be involved in film and television in any capacity I could. So it was a lifelong sort of pursuit for me. So it's never, I've never veered from it really. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I've stayed this path. One of the things that, that I find remarkable about you is your desire to, it's, it's not just in front of the camera. It's not just behind the camera. You want to try it all. You know, it, there's there's so much out there that people can do to be a part of any creative process. I think you are an example of the fact that if you want to be involved in something creative and cool and something that's going to, um, you know, uh, help shape people that, you know, you can do really pretty much anything you want if you go out there and, and try it. It's very true. 
And sometimes I would think to myself, man, should I just really focus on one thing, which is often, you know, good advice to give. But I just have enjoyed all aspects of everything I've done in film and television over my career. And I think now that I am a, you know, a filmmaker and a, a TV and film producer, all those small things I've done in front of and behind the camera have made me better at my job because I understand all the little intricacies, you know, from working uh, with actors and puppeteers and mm -hmm. writers to uh, working with, you know, camera technicians and uh, all the post houses and vis effects. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's a massive army that puts together these sort of creative endeavors. And the more anyone can know about all those, the, the better you'll be at, uh, you know, whatever you decide to fall into. Exactly. Tell us about the imperfects. Um, I'm going through your IMDb right now and seeing oh, some sure. of the, the more interesting. What's, uh, what's, what's been keeping, keeping you busy these, uh, these recent days? Well, the imperfects was the last show I did for Netflix, a okay. wonderful series with Dennis Heaton as our showrunner. uh, you know, really well known for a lot of his, his genre work. I've worked with him a few times before that we did two seasons of a show called the order, which was yeah. about, uh, these college aged, uh, magic practitioners and uh the werewolves among them and that was a real riot we had a wonderful fan base for that and then after we worked on a show together called the imperfects uh we just did the one season uh but it's a wonderful show also uh you know genre based about young college aged you know people in the seattle area and uh if you haven't seen it i would encourage people to see it, it it's it's still getting a lot of attention on netflix um they uh start off you know they, they meet again uh, at the beginning of the show in a hospital uh, to try to find the doctor that they used to be getting these meds from and they have this recollection oh i remember meeting you when i was a little kid mm. you know what's going on with the doctor why aren't we getting our meds and it turns out they had been experimented upon when they were younger with genetic therapies and whatnot and as a result as they stop getting the regular medication for reason to be announced um things go awry and they start having these strange abilities um powers per se um things happening to them and it's just how they're dealing with that in the modern world so. that sounds like a cool premise all right yeah, cool. um i yeah I, I love the the mutant genre i i, I remember x-men coming out in 2000 it was like because i had followed the animated um uh series when i was was growing up and it's uh that that kind of content there's there's miles to mine that in all kinds of different directions because these coming of age stories you know i a lot of us grew up thinking that you know we wish that we were something more than we are uh yeah. and we get to excise that by, by watching a lot of a lot of programming that reflects that that's cool can you tell me about how you got involved in stargate yeah i mean if we're going back well over 20 years now i was in the mm -hmm. late 1990s i think um I mean, it was obviously uh, a large portion of what was going on in Vancouver at the time, right. film and television up here. And uh, I was lucky to meet uh, one of the very first producers of Stargate who went on to do the entire franchise, John Lennock. I don't know if you've spoken to him. I've been trying um, to get him. Good guy. He's very busy. He's, he's very busy. He's very talented. He's right now. He's yeah. doing another really cool project that I'm sure you'll be fascinated by. So you've got to, I'll, I'll encourage him to uh, reach oh, out. Oh, please and thank you. I, I, I've always loved the man. He's, he's yeah. always been a good guy. 
He's really a good guy. Just doesn't like doing on-camera stuff, but I he's understand. got a lot of stories. A lot it's of stories. Too bad because he's adorable. You know, Isn't it's he? like John. He's got <laughs> such good stories to tell. I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail you. No, Go ahead. No, all good. Anyways, we became friends, and he brought me into the fold early on because um, he knew I had a, a, a theatrical background. I was working in television, um, and he said, "Look, we've got this character, this Asgard. You know, we need some assistance with." We're looking for more people to come in and and, and, and puppeteer and to do some voice work. Um, and that sort of event I was in, suddenly I was I met you know, Peter DeLuise and Martin Wood and Todd Masters uh, from Masters of Facts. Yes. And I just, yeah, suddenly I thought, I, I need to be here. And I started in, I think, an episode of maybe season two. I don't even remember now. And uh, yeah, I was, I, I, I learned really quickly how to use the animatronic uh controllers and worked with the puppeteers and apprenticed with them over a few weeks and started doing the voice on set and doing all the the face and eye work of Thor along with Jenny Cassidy who's another incredible puppeteer super busy as well she's you know continually in demand and uh it what I loved about falling into a show like Stargate uh, as a puppeteer working on the Asgards was that it was such a theatrical aspect of film and yeah. television. Film and television is such a, a director's medium. I mean, it's, it is, I, I think I've mentioned it before, it's, it's, a, it's a machine and there's so many technicians involved and so much stuff that needs to be captured on a certain day. Um, but as puppeteers and performers, you need to work really collectively um, as an ensemble in order to bring this inanimate creature or alien to life. And so unlike a lot of other people, we would have our stunt people as well, but we'd have rehearsal time and we'd, we'd get early copies of the script and say, okay, how are we going to accomplish this um, you know, practically without having to dive into, you know, you're going to have to have help us out with biz effects or special effects. You know, how are we going to make our little three and a half foot Asgard do what he wants to do, move in the space and make it easier for the cast to relate to and to have conversations with, um, so we, we would spend a lot of time and there were at any given time, there were four of us working the Asgard wow. in different capacities as puppeteers, um, as well as an assistant or a production assistant who would make sure batteries were charged and cables were set. And I mean, we had, as I said, I, I worked on often the mouth and different face, facial portions of Thor. Uh, Jenny often did the eyes and eyebrows. And so we really had to work together um, when I was speaking on set so that we would be able to match exactly what was being said and have responses to things that were you know, being said to us as well. Otherwise, it just looks stupid. Um, but we also had somebody working with the, the breathing mechanism. So he had a, a bladder in his chest um, that would allow him to sort of, you know, have that sense of constant movement. And then also somebody on the arms uh, and the body as well. So you could he could contort and move and reach up his hand and grasp at things. Um, and we got to a point where we were so comfortable working with each other that we would end up improvising often with Amanda Tapping or with Richard. And they would love it because we would get so much more uh, from those scenes and from the characters um, because we had the ability to, to do that. And it's only because we were all from a theatrical background yeah. and just had spent a lot of time with with the little guy. So. <laughs> So, so there was there was the mouth, um, the eyes and the eyebrows, the bladder, and then the arm. So what what controlled like the head movement? There was there was a lot. 
that was so the person who was usually on the ground um, working the arms as needed uh, okay. and the bladder also would, would would do the head sometimes there were two different there were a few different versions of of Thor yeah and uh, and then after other Asgards um, Loki for example and they started getting better and better with how they were building them so controls were uh, simplified um, but yeah there was somebody often behind who would move the head. It was the easiest, very sort of hand rod puppetry so that he could completely turn his head at who he was speaking to, not. But yeah, we really had to be in sync at all times. So it took a lot of focus. Um, It was always a stressful thing. I know for production, John as producer would sort of be like, oh my gosh, there's like a big episode coming up again with the aliens and it's all of you guys are here all the time (laughs) and it's costing us so much money. (laughs) It was, I mean... They kept on writing in uh, the Asgards because they were such a fan favorite. I mean, everyone wanted to watch an episode when 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 they would arrive. And Even Rick it. said it was his favorite character to to guest. Yeah, with. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> love it. It's true. Uh, and the level of sophistication of them uh, as you went forward uh, also, you know, allowed you to infuse. Like personality. I remember, I don't know if, I think it was you that I was talking with. We had that conversation where Thor, you know, early on, his movement was very limited. You know, he could just do a head move. So you guys, I believe, worked into that. Like that was his personality. Whereas Mm -hmm. someone like Vasir way later on or Hermiod, they were, because you had the ability to move the characters as much as you did, they were much more active in their personality. Whereas when Thor came on later uh, in the, the later versions of him, he was still stoic and rigid. Yes. And that was just his posture. Yeah. That's who he was. Yes. Yeah. It's who he was. And he, yeah, he kept that from the beginning, but yeah, you're right. As the technology advanced and we were able to do more with, with the, uh, the, the creatures that were built for us, um, yeah, we were able to do so much more personality-wise. So that made it a lot of fun. We had a lot of wonderful comedic scenes. I remember uh, in Stargate Atlantis. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was it was such a treat to see how those characters were able to evolve. And, and there was one point, I think, I think it was a uh, convention in Vancouver mm. that Jenny and I had actually brought our Asgard out, and we did a live demonstration for a packed, packed house. And it was just crazy to us to see um, the fans that wanted to to see him after, to have photos with them, to meet us, uh, to see how it, how it worked, how we you know made him move through the space, and it was really a really a thrill. It must be um, uh, to, to to recognize that that you're you know appreciated for for creating life into something that's that's inanimate you know not unkin to say like kermit the frog or cookie you know cookie monster you know it's just a level of sophistication is is increased and there's more people perhaps involved but it's still the same basic kind of technique it's got to be very rewarding it is so rewarding and it's even rewarding today i i had posted on my Instagram, which is a small following. I'm not very huge on social media, but a lot of my colleagues who I'm working with now responded immediately yeah. with, with like a costume designer who I'm working with and a production designer and camera people. And they're like, you, you worked on Stargate? Yeah. We didn't know that. And uh, so I'm sure some of them are watching now and uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they were super thrilled and excited. It's, it, it literally still takes me by surprise when I find the, 
the people that are, are fans of the show. Always finding new people in my circles as well. You know, the, I think the one of the cool things about the franchise is, is it, it, well, a its perennial nature is is just a byproduct of this of the stories that were told and what they chose to to focus on. But you know, people are still finding the show through streaming. They're still finding it, you know, on on in syndication, and it kind of doesn't go away. And there's something no. to be said for a show that kind of sticks around that way. You know. The, the stories that were being told were um, worthwhile and meant something. And in some ways are more relevant now than they were then with all the technology and everything else that's happening. It's a little creepy. Yeah. Things with the environment and uh, mm-hmm. absolutely it's uh and this push to, uh, to bring it back. <laughs> yes. Constantly see online too, which is fun. Absolutely. We are, we can, no one can get enough. I, I sold um, the first one. A, a puppet that was created for, I believe, Outer Limits, probably. Mm-hmm. And the the last one that was uh, used oh. in Stargate Atlantis. And I remember the last one had two crates that were basically the size of Asgard caskets. Yes. One on top of the other. And when you open the one that has the puppet in it, the, the inner lining had like planets and stars it was very casket like very unusual i don't know whose idea that was but it was it was great and then the bottom piece underneath uh had um all of his I, i'm guessing it was steel um parts yeah. uh how what was that like to to uh be Carry responsible for all that. I'm sure you know the visual effects people were also responsible. But I mean, didn't you have to? Didn't you have to fly with him somewhere? Or was that a joke that we were telling? No, no, once? no. There was. I mean, there were. Uh, there was one occasion. I think at the beginning of season four, um, and I can't remember who came up with them. But there was the Masters Effects office in Los Angeles where they had been um, doing repairs and creating an, another version of the Asgard of Thor, and. Uh, he had been shipped up and uh, one of the artists from there had come up with him and it had been, you know, put on the tarmac and then brought to the studio and uh, we were preparing to work with him. And the, the production really wanted to use the new version. And we had rehearsed with the older one, which had, had because of the way that the, 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 the flesh was made out of rubber and whatnot, after a certain amount of time, it just would degrade. Cellcom, um, yeah. yeah. And so we had rehearsed and done all of our prep with the older version. And then on this first day of this episode, we had opened the crate and we got him all set up and we were ready to go and we're on set. And uh, we, as soon as we started everything, it, the servos in his head, like fried, they had gotten wet. Apparently they had left it on the tarmac and it had rained here in Vancouver, which often happens. And smoke was coming out of his like eyeballs and ears. And of course, when you're on set, time is money. And we were just panicked. So, and there is that responsibility to, you know, to get things up and set in time. So we raced out with him and it was almost like an emergency medical procedure. There were five of us opening his face, taking things out, realizing what had happened, putting in new servos, um, resetting things, calibrating with the, uh, the controllers. I mean, it, delayed i think they pushed things around a couple of hours but we got him back and got him working and it was great but yeah that was that sort of stuff could happen um 
especially when we were, you know, doing stuff that was not in the studio, if it was on a bit of a location or something, you have to be so careful. So those giant wood caskets, which is kind of what they were, yeah. were super important and they weren't always watertight. Um, but as you probably saw when you opened them up, there were a lot of different, the original version of him had a lot more steel rods and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a heavy uh, puppet to work with and, it did have some issues initially, but just got better and better with time. Yeah, the technology is just it just yeah. goes that way, you know. The um, and now they've got. Uh, I remember for uh, Martin Wood was was talking about two hundred, and the technology that they had to just synchronize the the mouth with uh, essentially MP three files you put into it, and it and it builds a corresponding movement based on based on the dynamic. There's something almost. There's something really lost with that. You know, when yeah. an artist is no longer involved in, you know, making the mouth movements and, and the, the facial features and everything else, I, I think we lose something. Of course. Well, you lose that, the ability to perform in a sense. As I said, some of the great stuff that was captured um, early on would be stuff that wasn't, you know, that was in between the lines in the script or after, you know, we'd cut and then we continue playing along with the scene a little bit. We've got some golden moments, right? Um, you know, hundred percent. And also, you know, even if they weren't moments that were usable for the show, they really kept uh, the crew entertained and the cast. <laughs> I mean, they were hard, long days we were doing, and it would be just so fun to have some sort of real, real cheeky comment come out of Thor's mouth after uh, the camera <laughs> started rolling. We did that quite frequently. <laughs> and we kind of had to. We needed to keep up with people like uh, the Pete DeLuise's and the Martin Woods. Oh, my gosh. So quick with all of their uh, responses and, and whatnot. So. But it allows you to improvise and discover new things. So yes. It's always a yeah. learning process. Yes. So I um, – I, when we – it's – you you were saying like the – the material, the rubber, the silicone, you know, it's, it, uh, it only, you know, lasts for so long. Uh, when we sold the, the final Asgard who still had the, the, um, circuitry on him for Atlantis season five, when they came back in the lost tribe, uh, this was 2010, September of 2010. And we had worked so hard to keep him pristine because oxygen destroys you know, yeah. things like this. Unless you're going to seal him in a nitrogen container, it was just that there was nothing that we could do about it. And I saw a photo taken of him a few years ago. It would break your heart. Uh, and where was he now? Where was he sold to? A, a, a fan. A fan yeah. got him. And yeah. I was, you know, broadcasting in, in every way that I could, you know, in all the social media that I had. Whoever gets him, if there's any way that you can secure him in some kind of way that deprives him of oxygen. You know, so that we can he can be maintained because he was so gooey and sticky. You know, yeah. he dries out, and then yeah. that's it. And it just it broke my heart when I saw the photos to see that you know whoever got him was not able to take care of him to that to that level. And it just reminds me that you know life is transitory. We have these things for a little while; they're preserved on film, you know, and then we and then they're gone. That's why all so. these museums and whatnot are so important now that they're uh, you know trying to keep these you know artifacts of our past it's uh the film and television you know archivists so it's just a really important work Absolutely. Uh, it's nice. that's why i said it's so nice to see some of the stuff that you've got on your shelves there it's yeah exciting. a lot of this is fan-made 
you know, but yeah, there are, there are a few, a few of these pieces are original too. I think, you know, we're, uh, if, if we are lucky enough to, to own a piece of it, I, I think that it's important to recognize stewardship over a lot of these because you want them to survive to the next generation and to someone who's going to care for them beyond you. So yeah. it's important. And the sophistication of, of, of archiving, you know, is always improving. We're finding new ways to, to maintain things. So it's, it's cool to watch. And there's a lot of stuff that's out there. People are really, you know, interested and and looking for things. There's still stuff that can be found. Absolutely. You played the Orion Tanat. My favorite. I mean, I loved doing Thor and the Asgard. Yeah. Tanat was such a treat to play because he was such a stupid goofball. (laughs) (laughs) There really was not anything like the Orions in the show. These two, these two side characters who are like, bumbling idiots who you know they you kind of feel bad for them because you know the the lucian alliance they they kind of just you kind of know they just fell in with the wrong crowd (laughs) you know tell us about bringing this character to life under this mask oh that man that process of getting into the character was such an ordeal because the cowl and the, the the mask um which had been built, you know, for my, my head, uh, the makeup effects artists had like 3d uh, models of our, of our bodies in order to, to build them up properly and sculpt them. Wow. But it was so heavy. And I, I remember the process, I think probably took three or four hours. So I would arrive on set, you know, three in the morning with the makeup artists and, you know, start getting into it and painted. And then with the pieces added on and, we would have to go into a bit of a a meditative state during that mm. where it was just you know focusing on you know when i need to be on camera these are the words i need to say this is the action i need to do and all my energy needs to go into that mm-hmm. you know with everything i've got and then in between takes it was all about remaining cool and focused and calm because there wasn't much eating that went on other than through a straw. Um, breathing had to be very, <laughs> he was like, it was just, I couldn't get too worked up. Um, yeah. You can lose it. Yeah. You could lose it. Yeah. yeah. It was, I think, I mean, I was lucky, I think, because I was able to, I played a lot of different aliens in the show and, and some other television programs because I was kind of fun and theatrical that way, but also was able to just be relaxed and calm and in the moment not and, everyone uh, can do it. No, you know, it's 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 very easy to um, have a, a panic attack. Uh, yeah. Through, are, are you claustrophobic at all? No, I, <laughs> I, there was a few times where I got a little. If I got into my head too much, um, but I could walk myself out of that because it would have been a horrifying experience had had I had a bit of a panic attack or started to feel claustrophobic. I remember the one. I remember the name of the episode and we were out in somewhere outside of the city um, where all these mounds of sand were. And it was mm-hmm. a super hot day uh, in, I mean, in Vancouver, Canada here, I think it was like 31, 32 degrees Celsius. So like high eighties wow. yeah, and very, very warm conditions. And they had taped like ice packs to us under our costume. Um, but the extreme heat when you're also, you know, all covered up with this was really a thing to, to, to battle through. 
We don't think of how often the the heat leaves our body, but when it can't go anywhere in there, it's quite extraordinary how fast you heat up. Oh yeah. When they would remove it at the end of like after like a 13 or 14 hour day, that feeling when the, 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 the big face piece comes off and the steam right rise up from the the collar <laughs> in the makeup trailers was just yeah it's it's hard to uh it's hard to uh describe but it really is quite a sensation could you see yeah, then, huh? through, through the eyes because those eyes yeah, obviously were no, not your eyes much, no those eyes were sort of up here yeah so they were small little sort of sinus pinholes that we were able to see through it was also very difficult to hear um i I know at at some point playing that character i had been given a little earpiece so i could hear (laughs) you know especially if you were talking to i remember had had a scene with um chris and he was a distance away and i'm like okay if i don't have something in my ear i have no idea what what he's saying i can see his lips kind of (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny. I mean, it's good that they, we were all sort of a family on that show, so we could rile each other and get each other going a little bit. And uh, but there was a lot of support to to make sure that these characters could do what they needed to do. But yeah, back to to Nat. And I mean, they they were such bumbling idiots. <laughs> I love his his this his uh, demise was one of my favorite scenes on the ship. Uh, it was just. The, the realization that oh my gosh we've been duped and uh do you remember his last line oh my gosh it's one of my favorite from the show what is it i don't remember damn you cam mitchell <laughs> <laughs> oh yes now i recall classic isn't it <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> yeah he spoke that way the reason the, the voice that came for tonight um was partially because of the, the heaviness of, of, of the makeup and the teeth. And uh, the teeth were so massive that the only way to sort of vocalize was by speaking way back in the throat and the palate. And uh, it was interesting how it happened. Jeff uh, uh, played my uh, counterpart on that show. And yeah, we, that was the, the only way to speak. It was interesting how suddenly these voices would come out of these characters based on what was happening to them physically. Yeah, there's only so much that you can get away with, you know, when you have this this full um, this full uh, prosthetic going. That yeah, Jup was uh, Jeff Redknapp's character, yeah, yes, um, yes, yes. and it was yeah. The, this set was this set of characters was was terrific. Um, I have uh, the, the other two characters that really required heavy not as heavy prosthetic for the prior, but definitely for the Wraith. The prior had to have been a different process uh, yeah. as well to it's deal long with. Long process, not as long as uh, yeah. Nat, but uh, you know, you had those really smoky white lenses in your eyes and a lot of the, the white makeup um, and the big, long, heavy cloaks. Mm-hmm. Um, they were such crazy, cool characters though. Sort of like floating. There's just so much power. Um, very regal, but horrifying with what they were able to do. Um, it was super fun to play, super fun to, fun to play the priors. Uh, and several of us had that, you know, opportunity to do so. Um, and then of course, yeah, playing a newborn wraith with that. Uh, oh man. Andy, Andy, after, uh, Andy Frizzell, you know, birthing yes. me that. that was, I mean, that was just a real treat. That was fun to go on set. Um, 
I, I remember the very first time they, sh the very first shot of that, um, they had the special effects team had put together, it was a giant bucket of, of gel sort of, I mean, it's almost like it's KY or something. Mm -hmm. It was so bloody cold wow. and I was basically naked. And as it slid down this tube, as I was like breaking through that, um, rubbery plastic embryo, the scream was real. Because it was like, I'm surprised that character did not swear a lot of profanities immediately because it was brutal, that, that scene. Then they heated it up for the next couple of takes. Oh, man. Well, yeah. We have to figure out the temperature. Okay, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. We had always wanted to see, or I had certainly, what was underneath the mask for the Warriors. And it was like... I think that they, I mean, they did quite the job. They make it look like you have no nose. Yeah. Um, it's it's horrific, and it's it's like being born again, you know, yeah. in that shot. Yeah. A really cool thing to do. It was so smart that they did that. Uh, because you're right, people were really so curious as to what they were they were under all of that. Um, and I remember, yeah, I had, like, the eyes, the no nose, the teeth. Yeah. Um, Photos of that exist online, and they still sometimes come back to. <laughs> I think I was wearing like a small little jock strap um, that was all covered in makeup, and I mean, I had tried to be as skinny as possible leading up to that episode, um, so I could, you know, be like a newborn in a sense. And uh, yeah, that was. Yeah, they don't come out bulked up. You know? No, they don't. No, so they don't. They have to go through wraith training. <laughs> there's a whole other side episode absolutely absolutely andy with the whistle come on you guys want to be a part of my hive give me a break here andy is so great you know i oh she's wonderful i, I know you mentioned that i, I produced several episodes of, of ben helsing another tv show for sci-fi and when the opportunity came up you know to, for her to be one of our cast members it was just such a reunion for us and so lovely to have her back again. I mean, she's, she's a little powerhouse for sure. She is. She's a delight. Yeah. And have you spoken uh, to her on the show? Uh, twice. And we're going to, I want to have her back because we want to do one with her and James Lafazanos. I've yet to ask James. I hope he'll do it. Um, but um, yeah, the, the, uh, uh, that's a complicated species to bring to life. And they did it with a great deal of poise. And she's just a riot. So yeah, she she's is. great. The prior um, contact lenses, you know, I, I, I have to, I appear to be on this, on this like obsession. Could you see through those? No. You know, Hardly they're so, yeah, they're so, they're so foggy. So thick. Everywhere we would move when playing priors, we had uh, a production assistant or a makeup artist with us um, on our arms, sort of setting us into place. And you could see maybe six inches in front of your eyes just very blurry. And I remember one sequence as a prior, I was on a ridge way up high. <laughs> and uh, I remember looking up there before the contacts were put in and I thought, you know, I could fall off of that so easily. <laughs> it was crazy, but it was perfect for the shot because the sun was coming up behind and I had the glowing staff and uh, it was incredible. But yeah, we couldn't couldn't move very far with those lenses in the eyes the lens technology has also gotten a lot better right. now um but yeah they're uh that's another strange thing to have a giant full lens in your eyeballs and then be moving around speaking andy uh would talk about how she would have to be driven home because with with her lenses she would lose 
depth of field and she would lose like all um peripheral vision it wasn't it wasn't possible after after taking them out for hours it would take to to reset you you just couldn't Crazy. take them off and be able to see again no it's a, yeah you know getting out of any of those makeups um and and with the lenses and all of that it really is a process of decompression afterwards yeah um, often, you know, we would spend, it would be an hour after a wrap where you're getting cleaned up and undressed and changed and showered. And then still there's a bit of a psychological um, thing. I mean, any sort of person who performs as an actor uh, in, in a program, there's this thing where you have to remove yourself personal, personally from what you just played. And when you're doing something that's a different species, that's under so much heavy makeup and costume and whatnot it's also it's a whole other it's a thing and it does take a while to to come down from the high but also just to sort of readjust to being a human it seems a little weird yeah i mean you're not going to go out and start eating people but at the same time it's like you've been so removed from everything that's human and natural that you must be in just this other place for a little it's like you know people i just need some time yeah, but <laughs> so. well, I've been known before in, in, to have you know left set and, and be driving home and go through a drive-through or run to get something to eat and realize, oh my god, I'm wearing my little booties or I have I, I didn't have this the gash taken off my neck. I'm... <laughs> yeah. uh, oh man, production stories. As a, and, and I've you know I've had people who have walked home in makeup or in costume and wearing swords, and it's like you you must look oh, yeah. like you were just an escaped lunatic. Oh, <laughs> so very true. I appeared on a, a movie, um, Alien versus Predator. Yes, as well which was such a fun project. I did that with Jenny and a lot of the puppeteers from Stargate. And uh, it was, that was a nuts, crazy show, lots of nights throughout the winter. And there was a couple of times where I re remember just having the, the entire alien suit in the trunk of my car because I needed to go to another location. And, mm -hmm. and then like opening that up and being somewhere or being at a gas station and people going, what, what on earth? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we had to do. Move we had along. To get the character to the next place, or we had to bring him back to the shop because it needed some mending. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a, a crazy stuff we we ended up doing. I have a couple of questions from fans. Uh, Lock Watcher wanted to know uh, uh, throughout uh, history there have been some amazing puppets and practical puppet style effects far beyond Thor. Per what is your personal favorite puppet or practical effect? that you have seen, not necessarily on Stargate, perhaps on Stargate, but that really blew you away as someone, you know, who knows kind of how this works. Wow. I mean, that's so, I always have such, it's so difficult to pick favorites. Mm -hmm. um, and interesting, I, I did just mention um, Alien versus Predator. I remember in that, um, that, that movie, it was AVP2, they, what an incredible, crazy, gigantic puppet was the Pred Alien. It was the offspring of the Predator and the Alien. And we had From a giant. The, end of the first one. Yeah. Yes. And we had the scene in a hospital, and this thing was massive. I'm talking, it stood 12 feet high, and it needed, um, we had these huge compressors that would work in order to, to, to give its shoulders and chest some movement. I think there were six of us on it at any given time. Wow. And uh, 
it it was actually horrifying. We shot that sequence in uh, what used to be an old psychiatric hospital called Riverview. And it's kind of haunted. I mean, this is a hospital from the 30s and 40s. Okay. So being in there at doing anything, it's a bit scary at night. But puppeteering this massive predalien, it was, and sadly, you don't really see too much of it in the movie, but it was magical. And it really freaked out the cast that we were working with because it was just so massive. So that was one of my favorite practical wow. ones for sure. Yeah. Um, Kevin McCabe wanted to know, how would the voice of the Asgard work on set to the screen? Would you, so you, you, you voice the, the puppet on set. Would they track any yeah. of that for the, for the final mix? Because you're having to ma- match movements, you know, just as much as someone who's performing a Muppet, you know, yeah. is it's the same thing is happening. The hand and the mouth correspond. Yeah. But they would record. I mean, of course I was recorded by sound, by the, the mixer uh, okay. on the day. Um, and then if it was Thor, for example, that would be voiced after in uh, ADR. And yeah, it's, I mean, just the, you know, the actors needing to, to then do the final voice would literally watch very carefully and map it out or listen to the guide track that was recorded on set. So, okay. and then sometimes it would be augmented slightly as well so that it would have, you know, different sort of effects to it. And, okay. Caroline yeah. Ann wanted to know, is there, um, was there any level of uh, of cooperation between you and the actor who would be selected? I mean, you had Trevor Duvall, you had Michael Shanks, you know, a number of different people were, were brought in to play the different personalities. Yeah. Um, would you work with them directly or would you would you provide them just the content on the set to then use in the ADR? That's often what would happen. They would be provided with the content from set Quite frequently, they would be there as well, though. Okay. Um, they're watching what was going on or being in discussions in advance. So if we were having a conversation as Thor with Amanda tapping, um, you know, they would be there saying, okay, well, let's, let's, can we do it this way or have a little bit more? So we did work together. It was, as I said, it was an ensemble, but it wasn't always possible to have everyone on set at all times. So, um, yeah, it was just a process that would happen in post and wow. together. Oh, that's crazy, man. Uh, What's uh, next for you? What are you planning on? What's in What's in the popper? Well, I actually... What's in the popper? I love that question. I actually just finished doing some pickups for a new Netflix show that's coming out maybe the next eight months or so. Um, total deviation from any of this genre stuff called My Life with the Walter Boys. It's a beautiful story based on a series of books. Um, so I uh, just completed that. My and... Life with the Walter Boys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's a YA okay. thing. It's fun. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of other little things in the works. I also, anybody that knows my work also knows that I do some documentary work. Mm-hmm. So I had one called Pat Rock Who Dared that finished its festival circuit not long ago. And um, we'll be working with uh, Bell Media up here in Canada to do uh, another documentary series and a feature-length documentary. These are ones I do because I love telling these sort of stories about real life. Um, documentary filmmaking is tough to make a living at. That's why I do all the fun television stuff to uh, afford me the ability to of do course. I've got a few of those in the works. And, uh, and then I'm actually going to start on a new project really soon with a company called Productivity Media Inc. Uh, as a production executive. So I'm going to be looking at bringing on a lot of producers to do a lot of film projects and a lot of development 
it's good. It's 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 a very exciting time for me in my career and uh, with what's going on here in in Vancouver in North America. Uh, so, yeah, Vancouver has just exploded compared to where it was in the late '90s when Stargate began, and Stargate played such a huge part uh, oh, yeah. in in. I mean, WB, you know, everything that was was created up there, you know, shows like Battlestar and, and Stargate and, you know, Smallville, they all they all were trailblazers for so much of the content that's there now. Yeah. And now we I think at any given time, there's 42 to 45 television series shooting here and usually a dozen features. Man. We do a lot of MOWs up here, a lot of Hallmark stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I haven't worked on yet. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there's for, time. There's time. They need. We need to have like a one of those Hallmark love stories, but with an alien genre band. You know, give it time. That's all. <laughs> just time. Just time. <laughs> Sooner or later, something. You know what? We haven't done this one yet. That's so. a call out for any writers out there watching. If you've got a script idea, <laughs> E.T. will be home for Christmas. So, see, looking for love. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs it, right? So, Morris, this has been so cool, man. I I have uh, always appreciated your work and, and been a fan of everything that you that you brought to bear on that show, and it means a lot to have you. So, and yes, please put a bug in John Lennox's ear. Rob Cooper has also said, you know, who you should interview is John Lennox. I can't get the man to sit down; he's just so busy. So, okay, oh, he's uh, of course he's in Australia, so there's a time zone change now. That's true. But I, I'm going to bug him about it today. I promise you. I appreciate that, sir. Um, thank you so much for stopping by. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show on this end. All right. It was a real pleasure. It's nice a pleasure, sir. Be well. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Morris Chapdelaine, everyone. Actor and puppeteer. Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis. Uh, really appreciate uh, him taking the time. There's so many cool stories uh, out there about you know the 17 seasons of of production that uh, that were brought to life over the course of the show, and to be able to get to sit down with with everyone and share these um, these stories and uh, uh, bring them into a new audience, frankly, is is so exciting. So we have Glennis Davies coming up in just one hour. Here she played Catherine Langford in 1969, Ambassador Nor in I believe uh, Homecoming. Season 7, and then Eli's mom, Marianne Wallace, in all of Stargate Universe. So we're going to be um, uh, bringing her in in just a little bit. Hope you can stick around for that. Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself a t-shirt. Uh, go over to dialthegate.com slash merch, and thanks so much for your support. We have next week, if I can get my uh, information here correct... Pulling up the shows. Uh, Patrick Curry, who played Fifth, Chaka, and Iman in Stargate SG-1. He's going to be joining us Saturday, March the 4th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And then we have March the 11th at 1 p.m. Pacific time, Stargate and Artificial Intelligence with uh, Google's AI advocate Lawrence Maroney and Stargate executive producer Robert C. Cooper. Uh, We're going to have a Jack O'Neill Artificial Intelligence chatbot Q&A following up at 3 p.m. Pacific time on March the 11th. So if you want to talk with AI Jack, tune in for that. And on March the 18th at 12 noon Pacific time, Kate Hewlett will be joining us uh, to 
to discuss her uh, feature film, The Swearing Jar, as well as more stories from the set of Stargate Atlantis as Jeannie Miller. My thanks again to Morris for joining us for this episode. My uh, my team, uh, Tracy and Anthony, Reese, Jeremy, and Summer, my moderators for making this show possible. Thank you so much. My producer, Gate Gabber Fury, Linda, Linda Gate Gabber Fury, and my uh, webmaster, Frederick Mark, who uh, you guys make the show possible. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate, and I'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>